Welcome to this Endo Life episode 99. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior and endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, the information in this podcast isn't here to replace your current medical treatment and is here for informational purposes only. As always, I want to thank our first sponsor today, BU. These guys are the makers of the incredible period patches that I love and also a beautiful organic CBD range, menstrual cup and chafing cream. And they really are one of the pioneers of natural and really quite revolutionary periods care, in my opinion. I have seen these period patches change people's experience of their periods so dramatically and their experience of endometriosis so dramatically. And they are really one of the first things that I recommend to my clients if my clients are going through a flare-up or it's taken a while for their symptoms to calm down and for us to implement changes. I still want to provide my clients with something that's going to provide relief, you know, in that current moment. And I always recommend BU period patches because I just believe in them so much and they have helped me so much and they're natural. And it's just when you are so commonly faced with all of these different drugs that can have side effects, um, they have their place, but sometimes you just want a more uh, side effect free option. So um, I absolutely love these patches. They've been helping me through a interstitial cystitis flare up that I've been going through recently. You can find out all about that on Instagram. Um, and if you want to try the BU patches for yourself, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go straight to their website, which is buonline.co.uk. So that's B E younline.co.uk. If you are in the US or in Canada, you can actually also order your BU patches from Cult Beauty and they will ship to the US or to Canada. So that's cultbeauty.co.uk. Let me know how you get on with them. Okay, so this is the second episode with Dr. Alison Seebecker. She is a world leading SIBO expert. She has chronic SIBO and she's a naturopathic doctor and she is who I trained with, took my SIBO training with. And this is the second part of our interview. And this half is really talking about the testing, the treatment options and the prevention steps. And, you know, we're talking about in the testing, like how to look out for hydrogen sulfide SIBO and what you know, what does the test levels mean? What does it mean if you have 30 parts per million gas or 80 parts per million gas? And we are talking about the three different treatment options. And then the most important kind of part of your recovery, which is prevention, because you definitely don't want to do all of that work to treat the SIBO only to not do the prevention steps and relapse. So really fascinating and important conversation. And we were at this point, I think, probably an hour in to our conversation and I didn't want to take up 
too much more of Alison's time because I, I said the interview would only be an hour. And so we sort of whizzed through this section to a degree. So in the future, I would really love to have Alison back on or some other SIBO experts to talk about specifically like methane, because that can be a really tricky one to treat and hydrogen sulfide, because again, that can be really tricky to treat and what to, you know, and how to cope if you are a chronic um, case of SIBO. So this really is a incredibly informative, but whistle-stop tour into SIBO treatment. And I think if you want to, you know, dive in even further, I have put the links in the show notes to articles that Alison has written and her course and other interviews that she's done. So yeah, I'm not going to talk any longer because I always talk way too long at these, you know, these intros, but I hope you enjoy it. And, you know, again, it was just such a privilege to have Alison on the show. She's just incredible. So here is the queen of SIBO. So um, in terms of testing, I, you know, I really like your sort of, you have a slightly different approach to testing. So I wondered if we could talk about how someone would get tested and also how they could interpret the results because um, I've had recently people send me pictures of their test results and being like, oh, my doctor's telling me it's not SIBO, but it looks very much like SIBO to me. Absolutely. So uh, I prefer for testing the lactulose breath test that's three hours and uses 10 sample tubes, uh, breath breath Mm -hmm. samples, just because this longer time and the more tubes allows me more more information. It gives me more information and I can do a better job of interpreting the test. And I feel that um, if you're going to go get the test and put your effort in to do it, why not just do it for the full three hours and take as as many samples as will help me as the, you know, the doctor, like, you know, I mean, I've heard doctors argue for shorter tests and everything. And I've actually spoken to some of these uh, famous doctors that have argued this. And I said, why, you know, most of the time, honestly, it's for research. It's research purposes that they're saying that it's like, as a clinician, why wouldn't I want the information that's going to help me? And then they'll like, yeah, you're right. You know? So, so anyway, (laughs) um, so that's a test I like now. Um, in the U.S., lactulose is prescription. I don't know what it's like in the U.K., but we do have a couple of labs you can order from directly as a patient. Those are there. For all those of you who don't know, I have an informational website for your informational website, SIBOinfo.com, and I've got them linked under resources testing. Um, they're true health labs and direct labs. What what is it like there for you in the in the U.K.? I mean, I guess you have a different healthcare system, so people are they want to get it covered through their their doctor, right? So, what how does it work there? Yeah, I haven't found any GP yet who knows what SIBO is in terms of with my clients and who's comfortable with um, or even knows how to test it or is comfortable with the testing. So I actually use um, Smart SIBO Test, which I believe um, you work with Emma Wells, like you're... you're one of her mentors, maybe? I read yes, it on her website. Yes. yes. So she have a lab? I don't have that listed. So. She has, um, I think she uses another lab, but her she kind of like is, you know, 
the I guess the middleman. Right. So um, she, I use Smart SIBO test, and you can order a ten-hour lactulose test um, through them, and you can also get a ten-hour lactulose test through Regenerous Labs. Oh, I know Regenerous. Here. Yes, I have them. And you say ten-hour? You mean three-hour, right? Oh gosh, yes. Sorry, ten tubes, three yeah, hours. Tubes, right? yeah. <laughs> that yes, would be a really I, long I, test. I know. I'm like, boy, that's that's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> I have Regenerous listed, and I have in, um, in vivo listed. But I don't have Emma's smart SIBO test. So I'll put that, I'll try and add that in. Yeah. And I just like, um, it gives, like, when you get the test results, I find that um, if someone was just testing on their own, for example, at home and they weren't working with anyone, um, they just really explain it in the results where I've used the Regenerous and it's a little bit, there's just the graph and it doesn't really give any context where there's a bit more guidance on on Emma's one. So um, oh, I just excellent. really like to use that. Okay. So now let me tell you the um, the way I interpret briefly. And by the way, I've been working on updating, updating my website for a long time. And this will be, uh, I should be done in a few months and this will be there just so you know. Mm. But um, the way I do it is for me, for hydrogen gas, I'm looking for 20 and above of parts per million within the first two hours. And for me, that's positive with a couple of caveats, so long as the baseline sample, uh, the first the first sample, which is taken before you drink the substrate, lactose is the substrate sugar you're drinking. Uh, so long as that isn't elevated, and for me, that would probably be above, so long as it isn't above 10. And so long as it isn't um, the highest level of gas within the first two hours, because that usually indicates an improper prep pattern, meaning that somebody didn't quite follow the diet quite right. There's a prep diet the day before. Um, however, one other caveat, and by the way, breath test interpretation gets very detailed, but you know, I'm just going to tell you and you'll have it, <laughs> um, is if somebody did have a high baseline, but then later you know, on in these first two hours, their gas rises way, way above it, like more than 20 parts per million above that high baseline, then I'm okay with it. It, it, it shows there's SIBO there. So I can, I'll, I'll use that, that test. So, so for me, it's basically 20 or above. And I'm a little different from uh, the, the North American breath test consensus in that they require a rise of 20. And, and I don't, 20, absolute 20 or above with these caveats uh, and works for me. And, and I'm basing this on just thousands of tests I've run on clinical experience. Um, okay, and so then for methane, we use the whole three hours of the test and uh, technically 10 or above is positive, but there's the sort of borderline range that Dr. Pimentel has used for years and years. Dr. Pimentel is the leading researcher in SIBO and an excellent clinician. And he uses from three to nine if a person has constipation. So methane of three to nine, if there's also constipation would be positive, 10 or above is positive no matter what. And um, for hydrogen sulfide, we don't have the test commercially yet, although it's coming soon. Um, but what we do for that is we can only detect a small portion of patients with it with, without actually testing that gas. And what we look for is what's called a flatline pattern. And to detect it, you have to be using lactulose and you have to be using a three-hour test because what you're looking for is that the hydrogen would be negative in the first two hours, but in the third hour, it stays very close to zero. Normally, we'll see hydrogen gas rise in the third hour. 
because we have a lot of large intestine bacteria in our there. And the third hour typically represents the large intestine. And so we'll see the gas that the large intestine bacteria make. But for somebody with hydrogen sulfide, since we're not testing that gas, we should not see, we should not see, um, oh, I didn't mention hydrogen, the way it works is hydrogen is converted to hydrogen sulfide. That's how it works. So, um, so we won't see hydrogen because it's all been turned into hydrogen sulfide and we're not testing that gas. So we won't see anything. We'll see close to zeros. And also methane is usually quite low, like under three for the whole test. So we just generally, it, you would think it's a negative test, but that's where that third hour is crucial because if it's still all close to zero there, then you know what's going on is you, you're just not seeing any gas really. And now you know it's hydrogen sulfide and that's called a flatline. So that's my interpretation criteria. And I've seen so many cases where if you go by just the standard, you know, recommendations clinically, we miss people. We miss people who really actually do have SIBO because these are more artful interpretations. And, you know, I'm not a researcher. I'm not out to try and prove anything. I'm a clinician and I'm here to help people. So I don't want to miss people. So that's why I use these criteria. And so with the hydrogen, um, I'm doing this off memory here. So they would call it positive if it was a rise above 20 within the first 90 minutes. Yep, that's right. They don't go to a full two hours. Now, the lab, the manufacturer of the breath test machine has always used two hours ever since breath testing was invented. And really the 90 minutes um, is much more important for research. So, you know, there's, it's, everything's not universally accepted. As you see, you know, you look at breath tests from physicians that say it's negative. We still don't have a universal thing, and, and that's all right, so long as we understand parameters and you hear from different people, like what I'm telling you. And if so, the reason why they're doing that is because, um, and you know, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, is because they're assuming that the substrate should be through the small intestine within those 90 minutes. And so we'd be looking at the rise in gas in the large intestine and accidentally diagnosing that as SIBO when it's actually just the gas in the large intestine but because of slow gut motility you're seeing it actually taking longer for the substrate to get through the small intestine. Yes you've said it perfectly. Now there's some new research from Dr. Pimentel where where he found 90 minutes was the most accurate but I just all and so you know I, I love his work his work's amazing all I can say is clinically I have so many people that they become positive between 90 minutes and 120 minutes. I mean, in my estimation, they become positive. I treat them and their symptoms resolve. They really did have SIBO. I just don't want to miss those people. And so that's where I, I go from. I go, to, I go to two hours. And you know what I do is I always look to see is somebody positive by 90 minutes. And the vast majority are. It's these little tricky ones that I don't want to miss. And you know what you can just say to yourself um, is, well, you know, it could be, maybe not, you know, it's in this sort of borderline area. Um, and then you just make a decision of what, what you want to do. If everything fits the history, um, then you might, you know, I would certainly call that positive and then see what it's like if you do some treatment. And with the, so with the gas in the large intestine, with the hydrogen, if there, is there kind of like a um, normal amount that that should go to? At, like if you saw say someone didn't have a rise until 120 minutes or or even after that, like 
is there ever a time when you're like, that seems an abnormal amount of gas in the large intestine? Yes, where where I, well, there's two things here. Sometimes people have such slow motility, they really do have a positive SIBO just after 120 minutes, like at 140 minutes. Um, and the way I'll identify that is if we have a double peak pattern, uh, because that used to be what was considered the way to diagnose SIBO. Now we know that that's only one pattern. But a double peak means that the first peak, the first rise is a, is a SIBO, and the second rise is the large intestine. So if somebody becomes positive later on, like basically if you see a double peak with a three-hour test and, it, and the two peaks are just after 20, 120 minutes, uh, I, I'll consider that SIBO. And almost always those people have responded very well to treatment. But for your general question, I've seen such varied amounts of gas in the large intestine. I'm not sure what I think is normal or not. And also, like I probably need to have had stool tests on everyone to correlate what is really normal or not. But generally, I would say getting into the 70 or 80s and above in the uh, in the large intestine of hydrogen gas seems a bit high, seems high. Okay, okay, that makes sense. And with the, um, you know, we'll talk about treatment in a moment, but the in terms of if someone had, say, like 70 parts per million in terms of their highest number, you know, we would use that as a marker for how many treatment rounds we would need because the treatment rounds reduce the gas level by certain numbers. And so if you were trying to look for your highest number, would you take the highest number, just the highest number that it ever gets to? Or is or is there a part where, well, that's that would be that high anyway because it's in the large intestine? Does that make sense? It like, totally does. Yes, totally. Yes. So for hydrogen, it's the highest hydrogen got within the first two hours because I, right, okay. I used two hours. And for methane, it's the highest the methane got in the whole three hours. Sometimes the highest methane is the last number or second to last number. And it that just, you want, that's why you want that three hours because it gives you a better sense of what lies ahead. You kind of need to know how high the gas goes. Okay. So if someone had hydrogen, uh, a rise in hydrogen and say it got to 70 and 120, but it got to, I don't know, 85 after that, you would take the 70 and use that as your, okay. That makes sense. Um, Okay. So then in terms of, they, you know, someone's had this positive, oh, actually, sorry, one last question about this. If someone didn't have a flat line and they were positive for both methane and hydrogen, but they had symptoms of hydrogen sulfide SIBO, would that be possible? Absolutely. Such a, such a good question. We didn't used to think it was, but with, uh, with the machine now in research, they are finding that all three gases can be there together. So we just will, you know, we'll have to learn more about this as we get the testing capability, but yes, you can absolutely suspect hydrogen sulfide along with positive hydrogen and methane. Okay, perfect. Thank you. I just didn't want to miss that one because I've noticed it in a couple of people. Um, okay, so then in terms of treatment options, what, what would be someone's treatment options that they could try? Right. So for SIBO, I kind of break it out into symptomatic treatment, directly hitting the bacterial overgrowth, the SIBO treatment, and then sort of the the after the prevention, to, especially because so many people are chronic, to make sure you're managed well and, and try and maintain remission. Um, and so I think, you know, what we want to talk about here is probably just the this hitting the SIBO part first, right? 
So, um, you know, we're trying to basically kill a bacteria. And there's, there's three main ways that we use to do that. There's typical antibiotics, pharmaceutical prescription antibiotics. There's herbal antibiotics, botanicals. And then there's elemental diet. And all three work really, really well. And so do you, do you want me to talk about one versus another or doses or um, you can? Yeah, do? I would, I mean, I would love to kind of go into, yeah, like what, when might you use the elemental diet versus, you know, antimicrobials? Is there a difference? Um, and yeah, and also doses would be, would be really helpful. Yeah. So the elemental diet is best for, so, so what that is, is it's basically a, um, um, liquid medical food. It comes usually as a powder and you mix it with water and you substitute it in place of eating meals. You just instead take this medical food, this drink. And so it's difficult because you're not eating and you do it for two weeks. It's, it's kind of like a form of fasting, although you're, you're actually taking in full calories, but it's difficult to do. And it's very, very effective. So what, what we do is uh, we'll use it for people who have very high gas numbers. So really like close to hundred or above hundred because it can lower gas more. It can bring gas down lower in one round, which would be two weeks as compared to the antibiotics and the herbal antibiotics. So that's where that one's really good is for people who have very high gas. And by the way, the symptom severity does not always correlate with a gas severity. So you can't tell unless you test somebody could have terrible symptoms and have kind of mild gas levels. It happens all the time, actually. And it's actually a good situation in terms of prognosis when that happens, because less rounds, it, it's more favorable for like treatment's going to get them feeling better faster, you know? So um, for the antibiotics, oh, and by the way, the elemental diet, there's the, the one that was studied is called Vivinex Plus. And now we have all these other ones that are made by supplement companies that are really good. Like um, Dr. Ruscio makes one, um, Elemental Heal Way Free, that's an elemental diet. And we have Integrative Therapeutics makes Physician's Elemental Diet. And then Vita Aid makes, um, I can't remember the name of theirs, but they have, they have a couple of options too. So for the um, antibiotics, there's three main ones we use. Rifaximin, which is usually sold under the brand name of Zyfaxan, but I'm just giving you the drug name, Rifaximin. And that one, um, we use it 550 milligrams three times a day for 14, uh, 14 days and um, as one round. And that's what we use when we have hydrogen. Um, and then if we have methane, we have to use that plus either neomycin or metronidazole. Metronidazole is also known as flagell. Neomycin is used at 500 milligrams twice a day. And if you were using the uh, metronidazole, you use it at 250 milligrams three times a day. And so you would take rifaximin with either the neomycin or the metronidazole. You just swallow them like at the same time. And again, that's two weeks uh, typically. Um, and this is because the methane, they're made by archaea, as we mentioned. And so they need a little bit of a different treatment. And the neomycin or the metronidazole seem to target those archaea better than just the plain rifaximin. But with hydrogen, you don't need the double antibiotics. You can just use rifaximin. And um, just before I move on to the botanicals, it's, it's good to know that while neomycin and metronidazole are standard antibiotics, rifaximin is not a standard antibiotic at all. And it's, um, it's considered, people call it a eubiotic, which means it has beneficial qualities. Um, 
because it actually doesn't disturb the microbiome in the large intestine. It doesn't cause yeast overgrowth. It doesn't have um, terrible side effects. It's uh, very, very different as an antibiotic. Um, and there isn't resistance to it, it hasn't developed yet. So it's just important to know because a lot of people with SIBO, they're afraid of using antibiotics for their, their SIBO. Sometimes they feel they got their SIBO from antibiotics, which could be true. That antibiotics, some antibiotics could have the potential to actually slow the migrating motor complex. But rifaximin is different and uh, very helpful. So then moving on to botanicals, uh, we sort of have to divide it just like we did with, with the types of SIBO. And I know I haven't talked about hydrogen sulfide yet, but I'll get there. But um, but so for kind of like equaling the rifaximin, we would use berberine or berberine containing herbs, neem and EEM or um, oregano. They sort of act like rifaximin and we would choose one of them. Now berberine is a constituent in many different herbs like golden seal root and organ grape, but you can buy products that are just called like berberine, like berberine complex is one I use all the time. And here with berberine, we need um, anywhere between three grams to five grams to really be effective. And I, I tend to use five grams. I have a lot of challenging cases and I don't mess around. I just, <laughs> I just hit it. And um, I've, I've just had so many people who've been dosed too low and, all, and so many people where we just bring the dose up to, you know, like five grams, which is my typical. And then it's like magic. So I don't mess around. Um, but I know some of my colleagues find that their patients, they're not as challenging and they can use three grams or somewhere in between. But it's important to note this because it's going to be a lot of pills. I typically use nine pills a day, which gets you just under five grams a day for berberine. Okay. But it depends on the formulation. Some of them have a lower amount per pill. And so it could be 15 pills. I mean, you just have to take a look at the label right. yeah. of the product you're using. Yeah. And then for neem, I use Ayush uh, uh, Neem Plus which has a little bit of triphala in it, which helps helps a little bit with the migrating motor complex, we think. And we use six of these a day. And let me just give you, uh, let me bring it up in front of me, the actual milligram amount. Uh, it's 1800 milligrams a day that I typically use of neem, but split into, you know, we, of course we split this into taking it three times a day. You could take it twice a day, but I usually split it into, into three times a day. And then for oregano, I tend to use um, the product Biotics EDP, which is, it's a dry tablet. It's not like an oil inside a capsule, like a vitamin E, because sometimes oregano can be a bit caustic on, on the mucous membranes there in the, in the stomach. And I find the dry tablet is tolerated better. And, and this one just works really well. I find it to be concentrated. So it's 300 milligrams a day. So in this particular product, it's uh, six pills a day. And um, if you're using the oil and capsule, I've done that too. I, I find usually they have a higher milligram listing than the, the tablet. So it's like you need more of it in terms of milligrams. So I usually at least just increase it by an extra pill over 300 milligrams. Right. And then um, there's a couple of other ones that I've played around with, but those are our core ones. And so we would pick one of those. Well, if, if somebody has hydrogen, we'll use two of these together. Just pick any of the two of those three. Pick two and use them together. If somebody now has methane, then we pick one of them. And then we add to it um, allicin, which is an extract, an antibiotic extract that's in garlic. But I don't like to recommend whole garlic or garlic oil because garlic is very highly fermentable and can bother people. So um, I think it's better to use more of a purified extract of the antibacterial ingredient. And the product I use is called Alimed, 
and it's also called and sold as Ali Max Pro. They're the same product. It's 450 milligrams per pill of Allison. And um, so we wind up using uh, 2,700 milligrams a day of Allison. At least that's what I do. So for an Alimat or Alimax Pro, it's six pills a day. Okay. And the brands matter here because now that SIBO um, has become so well known, yay, <laughs> my efforts have been working and those of everybody else, uh, I'm seeing, I'm seeing um, companies calling their like garlic oil just regular whole garlic or garlic oil, Allison, oh. because they want the sales. They want the sales. Oh. So you have to read labels and or just stick with the brands that we use. And I don't make money from them, by the way. Um, Alimed uh, or Alimax Pro. There's another company called NFH that has one called Allison Sap. That is also pure Allison. However, it's half the potency per pill of Alimed. Right. So that's why I tend to use Alimed. And then there's, so, so if you're doing methane, you'd pick one of those, those original three, and then you'd add the Allison or the Alimed. So you're taking again, two, two products. And, um, another thing we sometimes use for methane is Atrontil. It's a three combination herb product that has been studied and shown to basically block the synthesis of methane gas by the bacteria or by the archaea. And so it's, it, it does have some killing activity, but it's more so about just not allowing the methane to be made. And it's really all about the methane gas. And so that helps people too. And that one is six a day um, also. So those are our botanicals. <laughs> so and there's, of course, tons more we can get into. But in terms of um, why you would choose one over another, for people who are very sensitive and react um, easily to foods and medicines and supplements, I tend to go with rifaximin because it's very anti-inflammatory and it's just very well tolerated. And this is just a key, key point. If somebody's very sensitive, they tend to do better with rifaximin. Now, if you have to add in, if they've got methane and you have to add in one of the other ones, um, you know, maybe that those will cause some, cause some um, side effects or symptoms. But even still, I find that to go very well. With herbs, uh, they're, they're so phenomenal because they have so many qualities. So they're antifungal, they kill yeast, they're antiviral, they're antiparasitic, you know, they're, they're antibiofilm. They have all these amazing qualities, but because of that, they can affect sensitive people on, in more places. They poke in more places, so to speak. So, um, if, if a sensitive person is going to try herbs, um, I have found Alimed to be one of the better tolerated ones for sensitive people. Um, just, of course, for sensitive people, start low and ramp up. So, you know, and other reasons why you would choose between the two have to do with really monetary concerns um, because their effectiveness is all the same. So I guess that's the key point to understand. The effectiveness is equal here um, across the board from all my experience and in studies. Of course, individually, sometimes one type of these treatments just doesn't match someone well, just doesn't do anything. But then the very next person, it's the answer for them. So it's, you know, it's always just about the individual matchup. If something doesn't work well for somebody, switch to a different type of treatment. And thank gosh, we have three different types here because I use them all interchangeably. And that would be one of my recommendations is don't limit your options, uh, particularly if you're running into some challenges you know use all three yeah absolutely and one thing I wanted to ask you is um if someone was I'm trying to think of a scenario here so someone had 
really high levels of um, hydrogen. They were they were positive for methane. Um, they had constipation. Um, would you? But their their methane wasn't very high. Say it was like ten or or eight with constipation. You would still. Would you? Because I've I've heard people use the phrase like hydrogen dominant. But would you call that hydrogen dominant if they they had methane? And they were presenting with constipation. That's such a good question. I mean, I think the more relevant question here is how do you treat them? Because mm. that's what really matters. And you treat them with both because they're positive for methane and they have constipation. Um, and even if, like you said, they're eight, if they have constipation, it, that's positive, um, according to my my way and Dr. Quintel's way. So you treat them for both. But the the secondary thing is what do you call them in that situation? Like, how do you name it? Because you have, you have hydrogen dominant gas, but you, but in terms of the bowel movement pattern, you're, it's constipation dominant. So in that case, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, I don't know what, what the proper name would be. I would, I would just call them um, mixed gas with constipation, right? Because they have both gases positive. I, I would say, you know, mixed gas, constipation dominant mm. is probably what I'd say. Yeah. So, you know, nomenclature wise, that's tricky, but at least the treatment is clear. Yeah. Cause I've just noticed with some clients when they've had something like that, they've been like, Oh, but I'm, I'm dominant for this gas. And so I should just treat this gas. And it's like, well, you still have the other gas, even though it's not as high and you're, you're actually presenting with more of the symptoms of the other gas. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of clarify that. Yes. And you know what I didn't mention? I mentioned if somebody has hydrogen, if somebody has methane. But um, if somebody has both gases, hydrogen and methane, you you treat them for both. So basically, if ever methane is there, you treat you treat that. You treat with the double antibiotics or the, the double herbal antibiotics. So that is the way we do it. Um, it doesn't really matter what gas is dominant. If you know if both are there, that's you treat them. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. BU make natural, organic products to help us to manage our periods, sleep well, and achieve a greater sense of well-being. Their product line is expanding all the time with just amazing products that I, I love. I'm so happy that this company exists because they're natural for a start, and they really focus on menstrual well-being, and that's just so important to me. They have a CBD balm, CBD drops, CBD sprays um, that can all help you to manage your um, menstrual pain. They have patches which you can use during the beginning of your period and the lead up to your period to soothe pain and the endometriosis community love them. There's also the sleep pillow mist. So if you're really trying to improve your sleep or you're trying to reduce levels of anxiety when you're sleeping, the sleep pillow mist is just full of soothing essential oils to help with that. They have a menstrual cup now and a menstrual cup foaming cleanser. Um, so if you can wear menstrual cups, then I totally recommend BU. Their cup is made with um, 100% soft medical grade silicone. There's no PPA, no latex, no dye. As I said, all of their products are natural. The company are really committed to women's rights, menstrual health, and good quality products. And 
I mean, obviously I know them personally because they're my sponsors and they're just a lovely company to support. So if you're interested in having a look at their range, the link is in my show notes. Um, I would love to hear what you think and how you get on with them. Be you. Start soothing period cramps a natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis diet grocery list. This download gives you basically a lowdown of what I eat every week on um, a monthly basis and my personal take on the endometriosis diet. It's not a protocol, set protocol that you have to or should follow, but it is here to serve you, give you inspiration and help you see what eating for endometriosis might look like in real life. It's there for you to kind of take inspiration from and help you put your own approach together. To download it, just head to my show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. Could we talk a, you know, a very little bit, because I, I don't want to hold you much longer, just a, a little bit about the preventative steps once you've, once you've finished the treatment? Absolutely. So there's three main things we like to recommend. One is meal spacing. And honestly, you can start that right from the get-go. It helps so much. What that, what that is, is it basically means no snacking between meals and try to not eat for really the most optimal would be five hours. Four hours is also really good. But if you can't make it, at least get to three hours. But really, four to five is better. <laughs> um, and so you're allowed to have non-calorie beverages. So you could you could have water, seltzer, or mineral water that's not sweetened. It could be flavored so long as it's not sweetened, no calories, you know. And you could have like black tea or black coffee, um, but no snacking. That really helps because it gives the body a chance to perform the migrating motor complex, perform the cleanup, and sweep the bacteria out between meals like it normally would in a normal person, you know? So uh, that is the, the best thing there that we can do. And then we would do some kind of a SIBO diet. Of course, we haven't talked about them, but there's a lot of them. And um, in the prevention phase, you can begin to expand your diet if you haven't already uh, to whatever you tolerate. But the, the idea is follow some kind, some kind of a restriction on carbohydrates and fiber. It doesn't have to be severe, but we just want to at least somewhat lower the, uh, the food sources for the bacteria. And then the third thing is a prokinetic, and this is extremely important. Uh, one of the most important pieces, although they're all really equally important. Prokinetics are um, medicines that stimulate the migrating motor complex. So uh, that always seems to be a great help to people. And we have pharmaceutical and natural options, just like we do with the, uh, with the antibiotics. And the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical options are procalipride, which is often sold as Resilor or Resitran. Here in the US, it's now called Motegrity. Um, and we use it at just a low dose, a half of a milligram, so 0.5. So you usually you cut the pill. And it's at night before bed. All of these are taken at night before bed to help stimulate the migrating motor complex while we're sleeping because we're fasting. That's when it does its job. And second pharmaceutical one is low-dose erythromycin. So erythromycin is an antibiotic, but in low-dose, it works as a prokinetic and it's a standard treatment for gastroparesis, which is slow stomach emptying. So we use it in 50 milligrams, or if you're cutting a pill, 62.5 milligrams at night before bed. 
or LDN, low-dose naltrexone, and this is used anywhere between two, two and a half milligrams to four and a half to five milligrams at night before bed. And the natural ones we have are Iberogast, which I know has had some controversy, particularly there in the UK in the last few years and has a new label warning. I can say I've, I've used it without any issues, thankfully. Um, I think the big thing there is you just wanna be sure people don't have a pre-existing liver disease. Right, okay. Uh, the label warning. But, um, but so that's um, anywhere up to 60 drops at night before bed. And then we have ginger root, which would be a thousand milligrams at night before bed. That's the dry capsule I'm talking about there. And then we have all these ginger containing prokinetic supplements that have been uh, created in, in the last many years, like uh, Motility Activator, Modal Pro, GI Motility Complex, um, uh, in vivo has bio.me.kinetic. Mm. Um, I know I'm forgetting one here. Oh, uh, Mona Mornstein has SIBO MMC. So these all have combinations of ginger root with either artichoke or 5-HTP and various other ingredients. So uh, they're, they're very lovely products too. And, and usually the typical dose is two or three capsules at night before bed. So uh, what we do is we, we follow this sort of preventative strategy for about three months-ish. Reason why is because the most average time for relapse after you've gotten your test negative is two and a half, two, two and a half months, really two and a half months. So, you know, the idea is you just try and get a little bit past that common time of relapse with these strategies and see how you're doing. And if all's going well, you know, it, it's up to you anytime you can decrease those. But for people who have chronic SIBO like you and me, we have to do those all the time. So, you know, those are things, these are strategies that give us our, our happy lives, <laughs> our happy lives. And, you know, in terms of prokinetics, if somebody, if you take one and you have a side effect or a reaction to it, just try a different one. And I think one other thing I would say is that um, for tough cases, the most effective, you know, sort of objectively are going to be percalipride, probably that's number one, and erythromycin number two, low-dose erythromycin number two. Now, I have lots of patients that are beautifully, perfectly controlled on various herbal ones and never needed to do the pharmaceutical ones, but I guess I just don't want people to not give themselves what they need, maybe because of a bias or, I mean, or it could be difficult to, to obtain it. And I understand that, you know, here in the U.S., we didn't even have procalipride for years. It just hadn't come to our country yet. And so most of us honestly still get it through Canadian pharmacies, um, although those typically do need a prescription. So I understand it can be hard to get, um, especially when GPs or physicians aren't familiar. So of course, it's good we have these other options, but if they're not doing the job for you, then definitely use your voice and advocate for trying something stronger. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So, um, I, I don't want to keep you any longer. I could talk to you for hours about this. I mean, you, you wrote a whole course <laughs> that I think was 10 weeks long. So no wonder we could keep talking about it. Um, but for just to kind of wrap up for people with endometriosis and, um, who find themselves, you know, chronically relapsing or they just want to give themselves the best opportunity to treat it the you know the first time round and I mean the first attempt not obviously the first round of antibacterial you know herbs maybe 
they have to have a couple of rounds of those. But what would what kind of tips or kind of best strategies would you suggest in terms of, um, you know, good management or success with it? Well, yeah, my my main tip is to use a methodical approach. <laughs> this is my key thing. I always talk about. Um, you know, so often in our lives, we're just we have a lot of other things going on, and it's really just focus on it and don't let it go, like grab onto it and follow it through to its conclusion. And so methodical to me means test. And then after you then do your treatment and after treatment retest. And I understand this costs money. And sometimes you, you can't get the test ordered for you. So, you know, if you can order it yourself, do it. I know there are budgetary concerns, but we're just talking about, you know, the, the, the question was, what's going to really kind of increase your success? What's your best chance? This gives you your best chance. There's no doubt about it. You know, um, testing and retesting after. And um, the other thing is not waiting a long time between your rounds. So we didn't really mention this, but uh, most people with SIBO are going to need more than one round of their treatment. So it's not like two weeks is going to do it for most people because it's not an infection. It's not like an acute urinary tract infection where two weeks will do it, unless you're chronic. <laughs> um, we, it's an overgrowth. It's not an acute infection. It's an overgrowth. We have to just treat till we get effects and it takes multiple rounds, usually three to six rounds for most people. So have that in your mind and know that's how it's going to go. And um, I wouldn't I wouldn't leave more than about two weeks between one course and another. If if you have a situation where you can't see the doc or you or the test is taking a while to come back to make your decision, go back on what you were previously using or choose something um, inex fairly inexpensive, the herbal options, and just use it until you until you can uh, figure out what you're doing. Typically, I, I recommend prokinetics between rounds, but Basically, the idea is when you're in the middle of treating it, you don't want to backslide. Um, you don't want to give too much time between the treatments. So that's another way to be methodical. And, um, and just, you know, follow all of these instructions um, without too much deviation. You know, people are always creative and they're like, well, I'll try this and I'm not going to do that. Or they didn't like the sound of something or, you know, I've given you what we know works best and just just really follow it through. It's, it's the methodical approach. Don't let it lapse because th this, this uh, multiple treatment thing is so key to understand. It might take you, I don't know, three to six months to get your initial test negative. It's worth the effort and you can just do it, you know, don't give up halfway. So that's my main advice. And what are your tips? I'm sure you have some. Yeah. I mean, I think something that I've noticed a lot is, um, trying to find a good practitioner and someone who actually understands SIBO is really if, if you're if you can not do it on your own it's going to make such a difference because I've had a lot of people come to me who have done or just comment on you know Instagram who have done one round of treatment and they're like it didn't work for me it made it worse it only worked on that treatment round and it came back and then you know I've looked at their gas levels and their gas levels are really high like 80 parts per million and they had a two-week round of antibiotics and so I think that that really is a key piece because I think people have that assumption that it's going to be um you know it's going to be gone within those two weeks and then they don't understand why they're still feeling unwell and the a lot of the time unfortunately I found that the doctors have been like no you don't need another round yeah totally incorrect totally incorrect and here's the thing if they if that person on Instagram had retested 
they might have seen their gas, yes. you know, come down to 60 now, mm-hmm. uh, or even 50. And, and then they'd say, okay, the treatment is working. Mm-hmm. And that's why one of the reasons why we retest, although also we need it to evaluate all kinds of things. But yeah, so very, very key to understand multiple rounds are needed and work with somebody and, and don't give up. And oh, but how to find someone who knows? I mean, obviously you're there, <laughs> you're available, you know, you took my training. Uh, you know, so for those of you listening, I have a, um, a practitioner training course, uh, which uh, our wonderful host took. And it's, um, t- it's 22 hours um, and it's the highest certification of continuing medical education we could get in the US. And I also do have a course for practitioners I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. I meant to say for patients, yes, yeah. that's like six hours, you know, and it's not as directed towards what the practitioner needs to do. It's directed to these kinds of tips. And I honestly think it's very helpful to watch a patient course and work with uh, a trained um, practitioner, because the more empowerment you have, the that's part of sort of the methodical approach. Yeah. Don't Don't sort of like leave the responsibility to your for your entire care um, to the practitioner. I mean, in in a perfect world, that would be lovely. But it just, you know, if you really think about it, things always work better when we put our own attention to them as well, you know, and and we work as a team. Things work better. More minds are better than one, so. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been actually recommending your course to clients, all of the clients who are working with me, because they're not going to be working with me, you know, forever. So it's, it's helpful for them to be able to, educate themselves and feel empowered to go away and you know maybe they've done the treatment the first time with a practitioner and then they've relapsed a year later or six months later and they can't then afford to work one-on-one with someone but they can afford to do a course then at least they've then got the knowledge and you know and they've done it once before so they can do it again yet they have like a course to guide them through it so um I totally totally agree with that and I forgive me I can't recall if we said this but um am I right in saying that the antibiotics and the antimicrobial herbs reduce the gas by on average 30 parts per million and the elemental diet but by about 70 parts per million on average we didn't say it yet and that's like one of my gold pieces of information that if that's where all this stuff can make sense where we said oh the person on Instagram what if they had an 80 part per million and then they used antibiotics or herbal antibiotics we would expect about a 30 part reduction not so it would it would take somebody with 80 part per million two and a half rounds at least typically sometimes a miracle happens you know i've seen them but um and for elemental diet that could that could potentially get that in one one treatment round which is why we we often choose that as a treatment strategy because it um it makes the whole process quicker if it works for you because always there's you know sometimes it just doesn't match and then you have to try a different treatment yeah yeah and i guess one other thing to mention here besides that is just Maybe as you can tell, treating SIBO is a bit tricky um, because it's not a straightforward acute infection. As I keep mentioning, it's not—it's not just like bam and it'll be gone. It's—it's—it's it's, um, in between categories. It's—it's it's an overgrowth. What is that really? It's like it's not really infective bacteria, but they're overgrown and they shouldn't be. It—it it requires a different sort of approach. It isn't your standard two weeks and it's gone, and it's tricky. There's all kinds of things we haven't talked about that can happen with gases rising after you treat it because of various reasons. And so um, knowing that it's tricky helps and that that's why uh, your education and working with a great practitioner are helpful. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also, you know, goes back to your point of don't don't give up halfway through because it's not it's not necessarily simple and you might have to work out what your root cause is and address that. Um, and, you know, you have experienced so many um, patients who have had relief, but it does, you know, you just got to stick with it. You do. you got to stick with it. You just got to put the effort in and continue forward. And everybody gets discouraged as they move forward at their treatment. Who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. That's normal. Just know that's normal. It doesn't mean you're going to stop, though. Just keep going. Um, because it's worth it. You can hear us, you know, we're, we're feeling pretty good. <laughs> so this is what I see is, is when, if you keep at it and you, you do all these things, it just gets better over time in terms of your management and your overall feeling. And, you know, also not everybody's chronic. Um, I mean, I think people listening to you with endometriosis, we would expect they are, but not everybody with is chronic. So for all, you know, one or two treatments might handle it, you know, so just move forward. And, uh, don't let any discouragement stop you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Alison. And for anyone who wants to kind of read more of your work, um, I believe you have a book coming out soon. Well, I don't know how soon, but I'm totally working on it. Yeah. <laughs> so I will Amazing. have a book. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to read it when it when it comes and I can't wait to read it. And people can go to SIBOinfo.com. Yes, that's right. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And and the courses are are all there as well. And you have so many resources and, and handouts. So um, I, I highly recommend everyone goes and, and checks out your website. So thank you again so much for answering all of these questions. Um, just you're, you know, you're so generous with your, your time and your knowledge. So I just want to really, you know, thank you because you're just doing such amazing work for um, SIBO patients everywhere. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's just been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world 